Hi listeners, it's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode, as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating? Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my God, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible artist. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis, and part late-night chat in the theatre bar. This is Hear Me Out. And I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, so Corey Milquist. getting it wrong with music on stage. Do you play any instruments? I do, I do. do and play? I've had... I, I play... Uh, I guarantee you I will be worse than you, but I play piano. Wonderful. Uh, and guitar and drums. Oh, great. Are, are there any of them that you'd be like... I feel like I can style it out more if I were on stage and something went wrong. I would say I could probably... I mean, the drums are probably the easiest to style out, let's be honest, because, you know, it's just wacky and you're just trying something. Um, but I've had to do guitar and drums on stage. And how was that? Okay, because I wrote, I wrote this stuff for the show. Oh, so nice. the stuff that I'd written, and it was very... It was like supportive. It was like, it was like an on-stage score. So you didn't feel like people. But were I was like, still scared. No, because yeah. I knew I, I saw. You know, you feel it in the room as soon as you step on with a guitar. Everyone's going. Oh Rather. really? Oh, you know? impress us! And it was during. It was. It was. It was at drama school. It was our first public show, but it was also the show that we took to schools. And so oh, taking that great. to like groups of fifteen-year-olds mm. is like yes. oh, Mister. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's that's Oof, a tough gig. Terrifying. That's I think something all actors at some point should have to perform for school children because yeah. that's a tough There's gig. There's just too much that you get out of it and lose along the way. <laughs> right. Sorry. Look, it is um go. too much fun uh just chatting generally. But we should we get should, on yes. to the primary purpose of this podcast. And I would like to say, Corey, this is very exciting because you are in fact the first recording of series three. No way! I have lots Series lined three. up over the next few months, okay. but this is the first one, so I am very excited. In the bag. I'm thrilled to be chatting it's to you. It's an honour. It's an absolute honour. The honour is all mine. I'm also thrilled at who you've picked because it is a playwright that no one else has picked yet. No way! He's a legend. Yes. I cannot believe that no one... Wow, okay. So go on. Give us a little intro, Corey. What is the play that your speech is from? Tell us a yes. bit. Yes. So, I, I mean, I've actually come here because it's been... It was 10 years since, since I've, I've seen the play. So I've, I've got my notes. Um, but uh, it, the play is The Ritual Slaughter of George Mastromas. Uh, I always thought it was George A. 
and I've been saying that wrong for years. Uh, but it is George, it's G-O-R-G-E. And I saw this, I think, when I was 14. So that must have been the, that was the um, original? Yeah, exactly. And I saw, so, and Tom Brooke, who became a, a hero of mine after that. He um, is insane. He is he so is good. Just a I saw The Kitchen at the National, and it's like oh, one of really? those shows that has just stayed with me. He is amazing. I never saw it. He's amazing. Oh, funny fact, I was, um, yes. I got last minute tickets to that, and I can't remember who I got them through, but it was obviously someone who knew someone who knew someone. Yeah. And so I ended up in the director's box, and I was sat next yeah. to Sam Mendes, and I remember being like, this is one of those moments in my life where I should turn around and be like, Sam, hey, Sam. I'm an actress. Yeah. Put, put me in a film. And I obviously didn't because I'm very British and I just sat there and, oh. you know, at the interval said, oh, excuse me, I just want to go to the toilet. Um, oh, no. Yeah. If you were American, you would have done it. Uh, you know what? I had an American friend at drama school at the time and I remember thinking in my head, what would Toby do? What would they do? What yeah, Toby what would they do in do? this moment? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So back to you. So you saw it at the Royal Court when it I first did, yeah. was on. You were a, yeah. a little wee fourteen-year-old. I was a, I was a tiny fourteen-year-old, and I, I I I you know puberty hit me late, so I was a really genuinely tiny fourteen-year-old, <laughs> and ah, uh, I just, I mean, Tom Brooke was probably I don't know maybe early thirties at the time. Mm. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know the play, uh, the play spans the entirety, basically. Yeah, it starts at his conception and goes until he is he is a man in an old age. Uh, and uh, Tom Brooke plays it the whole time, or played it the whole time. It was it was just groundbreaking for me, and I I wasn't sure at that point. I was pretty sure that I wanted to act, but I wasn't totally sure. And I just I mean, if ever there was something to push you over the the cliff um it's that it was that performance so you you gave a little intro there but can you give us a bit more about like so where in the play does the speech come i will i will consult my notes so we open there's a prologue there's seven seven characters i think uh and they're all it, this is shared by everyone uh and the prologue is about a fifth of the play wow and so it really goes and it starts at his conception george mastromus Starts at his conception and it goes up until he's maybe in his early twenties or something, and then we 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 open with a scene. But in that in that prologue, and it's beautifully written. I mean, you know, he's just a genius. Um, oh, I we, don't think we've even said. Did did we say sorry, who it was? Dennis by? Kelly. It's Dennis Kelly. You might have it's, done. I I just the I'm Dennis not sure. Kelly. No, I don't think Dennis I have. Kelly. Okay, great. And so there are three sort of moments in this in this prologue where the question uh, goodness or cowardice comes out. Because George is fundamentally a lovely person or a, a moral person, at least a, a normal person. Mm -hmm. And he generally chooses the moral thing, the good thing. And the question is constantly, is it goodness or cowardice? There's a moment with a childhood friend where, you know, he could uh, escape the clutches of that friendship and become popular, but he doesn't because he f feels pity. And is it goodness or cowardice? There's a moment where he could uh, have a moment with his high school crush, but he, d he doesn't because he's in this relationship that he doesn't really like. And then there is a moment that comes back later with a woman called Tanya. Again, none of this is actually happening on stage. We're just being told this by by seven people. Right. Uh, but he has a relationship with this woman called Tanya, and he sleeps with someone else. And uh, Tanya cannot conceive, and he ends up getting this other woman pregnant. And it's, it's quite... A, 
big moment because uh, he ends up speaking to this other woman. He's not sure whether he should tell Tanya. He ends up speaking to this other woman and she breaks down. She becomes very vulnerable. And he realises that in that vulnerability, he has power and he could push her to do the thing that she doesn't want to do, which is to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't decide to do it. He says, you can do whatever you want. Of course, I will be there for you. He goes back to Tanya. He tells Tanya. He loves Tanya, but he tells Tanya. Tanya turns against him, of course, as does her whole family. That relationship is ruined. Two weeks later, he gets a call from the other woman. The baby miscarried anyway. And then, bang, the play starts. And we open and there is a conversation between someone that's coming into a business and George's boss. George's boss is losing the business. Uh, he gets scared. He runs out the room. George stays in there with the person who was trying to buy the business. Mm. And this person gives him this big pitch and it's almost like a god coming down from heaven uh, with otherworldly powers and says, there's an unspoken rule in life. You can do whatever you want. If you want something, you can take it. And uh, she gives him three rules it's basically lie through your teeth, whenever you want something, take it and never regret anything. And then this person gives gives George a question. Do you want to uh, help this struggling man submit and sell his business or are you going to support him and tell him to stay strong? If you do the first, if you do the morally ambiguous thing, then you will have a life of success. He chooses that, surprisingly, and ends up having this extraordinary life uh, where he does incredibly awful things but has an incredibly successful life mm. and the final scene we see him a man on his own uh, I don't know maybe 70s 80s and uh, this young man comes up to him who ends up being his grandson and he doesn't know and it's the baby that he was told was miscarried uh-huh. um, and this this grandson is is full of purpose and spirit and hope and George by this point is I mean if there was any shred of the person that he was it's been covered in just generations of um decades sorry of of awful decisions and he tries to quell the loveliness in this in this young man Mm -hmm. I think because it's too much for him to to bear anyway that is the speech and that was also the 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 moment where I saw Tom doing that and I thought I, I can't believe that I, I, I'm seeing an old man now mm. I just I was so so blown away anyway so that, that is that is the speech I'm sorry that was incredibly long it wasn't at all that was really helpful and that's really interesting because I knew it spanned his whole life I don't think I quite clocked how pivotal a moment was happening at the end when an actor of Tom Brooks age was playing someone so much yeah. older and I yeah. think it's like um the Lehman trilogy that was amazing because almost the polar opposite. I remember seeing it and there was a moment where like Simon Russell Beale was like playing a five-year-old girl. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. But so you were saying you were so amazed by him effectively embodying this like older character, this older age. Does that mean like when you went into RADA, yeah. I feel like the classic bugbear when you're at drama school is that you get yeah. cast as an old lady. Or an old man. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah. this is annoying. I'm never going to yeah. get an agent this way. Were you the opposite? Were you like, give me, give me the old man role? Because I want to uh, do my Tom Brook on this. This is so funny because I've never made this connection. I I um, I remember 
going into the principal of Rada at the time. I think mm. this was right before third year for people that don't go to drama school. Uh, third year is when you do your first open to the uh, public and importantly, the industry shows. Very so good, loads yes. of agents come to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I he, he was asking me, what, what would you like in the coming third year? What would you like to play? And I said, I would really like something very close to me and something very far away. The first play was uh, about a team of a Premier League football team and everyone was really close to our age. Uh, everyone sort of had equal roles. It was brilliant. It was written for us and directed by the writer. Lovely. Second one was uh, the Tales from the Vienna Woods by... Uh, I mean, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Ulan Vod Horlaf or something like that. <laughs> Excellent. There's lots of all outs and, you know. Mm. And I... I got what I wanted because I read that play. I know I knew that there was a 75-year-old toy shop owner who lived on his own. And I said, please, can I play uh, Auberon, the 75-year-old toy shop owner? And I did. And after that production, that's when my agent uh, signed me. There we go. So there you go. There we go. I, you Tom Brooks really it. Don't. You were like, I'm going to be an impressive yeah. young actor in an old man role. Yeah. I don't know if I did Amazing. that, if I managed to do that. I think maybe I was just strange enough that it wasn't the thing that I'd done before. Mm, but I've, mm. I've never thought that. Uh, I've never made that connection, which is stupid considering how much I think about Tom Brooke doing that. That's super interesting to me, even the process you talked about there. To what extent at RADA did you have a say in what you were going to play? Oh, like uh, I've given such a bad impression there because like minimal if not none fine oh right so this is just more like there was a conversation and by chance then by chance the stars aligned and it happened in the same order that i'd said uh, fine i see i was about to be like wow i did not get that at lambda (laughs) no 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 i i mean like you know and also i was playing like messenger three and um of course and the three sisters who had like seven lines i had a one very good friend at drama school who bless him he just kept getting messenger number three messenger number three messenger number three messenger and like extraordinary actor um who is still acting now and doing really well yeah and I remember he sometime towards like the end, when I think the final showcase the casts went out, he mm. went to the principal and was like, um, about my casting, it, I feel like I've always been messenger number three. And I remember the principal effectively looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, soz. Like they hadn't it. even... And it, that was it. It was like, well, they were all done then. They were like, it was all cast... I mean, amazing, but oh. he's such a brilliant actor and he's so, um, his name is Patrick Warner. He's got such a phenomenal, like, booming voice. It, you know, he's oh, so amazing. perfect for yeah. so much. Like, he has still had a career and does brilliantly and is an amazing actor. Yeah. But I do remember really at the time feeling for him like, oh my God, you've been, you've been you're totally fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it does, it always happens to the, like the best people. There were so many people in my year who I was like, you are just the best thing that I've ever been near. And it's so frustrating because you don't have any power and, you know, you see these beautiful performers, beautiful people just sat there. Or even people who have the luck at the end. Like, I feel awful. I can't remember his name now, but there was a guy in the year above me who I was like, he is insane, like out of this world amazing. And everyone thought he was amazing. And he was getting the effectively like spear carrier roles all the way. And I remember right at the end, they did a play, really kick-ass play. And he was like the lead. 
And I remember hearing afterwards that like almost no industry had come because it was like that right yeah. at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. they've made their decisions. They're it's bored. so important. I, I was so lucky about having this really good showcase of like, you know, sort of like naturalism and close to your age right at the beginning. First play. Yeah. And then the second play was this completely different thing. And also, I, I don't know how it works in Lambda, but we have three theatres and like they're varying sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, every similar. show that I did was in the big one. Right. Which means that there's more industry in every night. And, you know, that's such a big factor, but I'd never thought about that. And at the time I was, the studying actor was like, but I want to know what it's like to play in that space. But actually looking back as someone who's more accustomed to, well, slightly more accustomed to the industry, I'm like, thank God I was in that theatre. Life is constant sliding doors in this industry. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I always I always feel like they just seem... Every day there seems like there's another th new thing that is also out of my control. Go on, what are some of those things? That's so really interesting. Wacky. What are some of the things that make you think, oh, um, God? Uh, who you've worked with. I didn't think that that was right. a big thing. Obviously, uh, having done work in uh, in this thing or that thing and and who saw it and and what you were like in the thing and how the thing does as a whole, all of that stuff makes sense. Uh, where you trained, uh, who your agent is, who your agent knows, you know, all of the, you know, again, no control out of any of these things. But then I didn't know, I didn't understand that, you know, if you work with an actor that is well known or that knows someone that is, that is well known and they're not well known, sometimes... Uh, a call can be made from a director to that actor who knows that actor. It's like, well... Yeah, you're like, I have no choice. It goes back yeah. to, yeah, when people are like, um, I think my era of coming out of drama school was when, like, Downton was really big. And everyone okay, being yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you should be in Downton. And you're like, yeah. oh, cool, thanks, yeah. helpful. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Like, what do you mean? Like, of course everyone wants to be in Downton. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with, like, you just said with, oh, well, if you could just, like, you should just try to be in things with, like, famous people. And it's like, yeah. okay, thank you. Oh, that's what I meant to be doing. Oh, brilliant. That's, thank Sorry, you. Yeah. I'll try. I'll put that on my to-do list for next week. I'll uh, yeah. be in something with a famous person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the speech itself then. Yes, yeah. Is there anything in the speech, like if you have it in front of you, are there any specific moments of it that you're like, this bit hits home, this bit I remember really well, this bit is a line I just bloody wish I could get to say? Because Dennis Kelly as well is such a, I always think of him as being very, of his era, royal court. Gritty, mm. fast paced like quite thrilling to yeah. say the stuff. There's this whole, oh, it's just all so good. Oh, I'm trying to pick up. I mean, there's a, there's uh, the beginning of it. Uh, fair, did you say fair? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> Is a brilliant way to start. I mean, that's a brilliant line. That would be, yeah. you know, but immediately you go, okay, I know this, 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 this about that person now. Um, especially having just watched the whole thing and seen this man sell his soul. I, I, it's just, it, I think, also there's this lovely bit about spring and, 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 and it's so beautifully described. And then, and then the next line is, well, it's all fake, it's all a trick. There is a very normal human soul inside of this person right. who has been beaten by many different things in life, but mainly by the person who's running the body that that soul is in uh, by him himself. Mm. It, it, it's funny, isn't it? The aggression 
and sometimes the articulation of that aggression that can come out when someone is faced with something that reminds them of something in themselves. Yeah, yeah. And and specifically the the like dexterity of which that aggression can come out with uh, linguistically, because that's something that that person has been dealing with subconsciously for a very long time. So it's not like this is a new annoyance, although it might feel like it to both of those people. This is something that they've been thinking about subconsciously for an incredibly long time. And they know exactly how to attack it because they've been attacking it in themselves for so long. I like that. I was going to try and find like a, a nuanced way to move into my other questions, but I can't do it. Yes. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. Corey. Don't worry. Don't worry. Let's just go. Let's bulldoze. <laughs> and it's more that I'm looking at the time and I'm like, this has been a great conversation. We're having a really good chat. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, there's like yeah. other things I was, I was interested to ask you. So I'm just going to my list. And what I'll blame is that you're the first recording of series three and I'm out of practice of finding nuanced organic moments. And I'm just going to now do a Q&A with you, if that's all right. That's perfect. That sounds brilliant. That sounds lovely. Question one. Yes. Uh, what was it like to graduate from RADA in 2020? It was... Um, well, technically, I didn't. I mean, I, I did. I was meant to graduate in 2020, but I had my graduation ceremony in 2021. Ironically, right. after the people that were meant to graduate in 2021 and who also had their ceremony in 2021. But were you um, out in yeah. the world? Not that the world was open, but were you out in the world technically yeah, being like, yeah. I'm available for work from summer 2020? I, I was I was telling the world that I was available. I you don't were... know if the world was on the other end of the phone. No, you I were did, on mute. I, did, Your Zoom yeah, was I was on mute, mute. exactly, yeah. Available. yeah. Yeah, and that video wasn't working. And the video um, wasn't working. No. <laughs> Uh, no, it was tough. It was tough. But I was so fresh and I also didn't expect anything um, mm. that it wasn't it wasn't like I expected to come out and burst onto the scene and, and take the world by storm. So I wasn't it, it wasn't like there was some big disenfranchisement or like some big epiphany like, oh, maybe I won't. You know, I always just thought I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I'm probably going to be working in a restaurant or a bar or you know whatever mm. so i'll just start that but it was tough it was tough but also again you get used to the fact that you have so little control over it, everything and you just try and get as much as you can out of everything so every self-tape becomes an exercise and you know my walls became plastered with my own learned advice to myself and um uh yeah but it was tough oh i mean good for you i mean i was very much the opposite. Really? I definitely left being like, I remember being like, mum, I can't go on holiday I hope this you're summer ready. because I'm going to be so busy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, tumbleweed, <laughs> tumbleweed. Yeah. So yeah. I think good for you. Like that is so the way to leave drama school is to go like to have, and I think that's one of the things I find myself saying now to anyone who's really young being like my someone who's like my son wants to be an actor or my daughter wants to be an actress I'm always like that is so cool but like make sure they want to be the type of actor or actress that they probably are going to be because that's what 90% of us yeah. do which is yeah. Yeah. you're going to have some of the most amazing jobs in the world maybe you're ne maybe you're not actually but even if you do you're going to sit around yeah. doing nothing a lot of the time and you need to know how else yeah. to keep yourself satisfied because I think exactly when I first came out 
everyone was like, oh, it's very hard. But they always said it in a very generic way that didn't really yeah, prepare and you, us no for the reality. Yeah, there's no specifics. Yeah. I also think that I, I haven't thought about it until now, but I think there was something about the fact that the rest of the world, because of COVID, was also on mm. shutdown and no one else was doing anything. So it didn't really highlight or bring to my attention the the terrifying fact that I was doing. That's a great point. Because I would have been doing that had the world have been turning, but also the world wasn't turning. So it, I wasn't the weird one, which I think probably actually helped. But I've never that thought about so that. That is so right, because I think certainly my experience was like, I went straight, I never did a... Uh, took a year out or anything I was like school university drama school and I remember coming out and it was like I'd been in this like whirlwind routine my whole life and then suddenly you're spat out and you're like oh I'm a freelance actor so I how do I structure my days like how do I fill my time so you're so right it must have been some comfort knowing that everyone was going through a phase of like how do I structure my days yeah exactly right yeah Um, Yeah. on that note though how does it feel now to be a person with an M at the end of your number of followers on Instagram? Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I thought you were going to say with an M at the start of your second name. I, um, <laughs> You're like, I can speak well, to it, but I don't good. know that I've got much to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I try. I don't know. It's so weird, isn't it? It's so Because, because you know, and talking about drama school and people coming in and giving you advice and saying that you know prepare for this prepare for that no one ever has a conversation prepares you for and I won't call it fame because I'm definitely not famous but uh, there is some interactions on the street and you know that sort of thing yeah no one ever prepares you for that because there's no point in being prepared for that because that's never going to happen and then it happens and you feel completely lost I will say I have some incredibly lovely uh brilliant well-rounded and grounding people around me yeah and that is lovely. My life in general doesn't feel that different. I think most stuff is online, which is lovely, which is really lovely. And it, that's not to say that I'm trying to avoid anything or that people are, you know, whatever. I'm very grateful. But it, 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 it's, it is strange. And actually, do you know what? It's, actually, it's the people outside of the industry that react, the people in my life that are outside of the industry that react to uh, specifically the Instagram or like social media stuff yeah. uh, more. And I'm like, Whoa! you know, um, whereas whereas uh, the people in the industry are, are, uh, don't seem to uh, bat an eyelid really. Lovely. Um, yeah, which is lovely. Okay, so one final question to return to the speech before you read the speech. Yes. Uh, you obviously trained at RADA, we've mentioned this, obviously incredibly famous, brilliant drama school. When you look at a speech like this, obviously you said you haven't actually played it, but I guess for this and any other speeches, any other elongated bit of text that you have to play, do you have a, is there a RADA way of approaching something? Or is there a Corey way of approaching something? What have you, what did you take from your training that maybe you find yourself putting into practice most? I would say, I don't think there is a, I don't think there is a RADA way because there are so many different teachings in RADA. I think, you know, the, 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 um, the really naff and cheesy, uh, thing that was told to us was, you know, we are giving you a tool set mm. and it's up to you to pick the tool mm. for the applicable yes. thing. Da, 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 da. Uh, I would say there were specific teachers that really changed my life that really gave me, uh, some 
brilliant things. And I also would they? say that the one that I'm thinking of is uh, Beru, um, uh, rather uh, John uh, Beskitza was amazing, jo, uh, who was the head of acting when I was there. Joe Windley, who was the head of voice, was specifically in my second year. Uh, absolutely amazing. Mm. Uh, Shona Morris, uh, for all of my disagreement with with movement in first year, really, really You weren't a fan of movement classes. Uh, me? I, yeah, all voice. I thought, I was like, what the hell's the point, mm. you know? Acting is where I'm mm. at. That's what I'm here for. Uh, and, uh, and got my ass handed yeah, to me, yeah. as I rightly should have done. Um, but there is there is no way. But I, I think that the, the the safety and the encouragement to be wild and wrong and uh, bad is so... That safety to do that, those things, is so brilliant that there are things that I tried that my instinct was telling me to do in ways that we weren't taught, but that definitely came from the school in a, in a more abstract way. Mm-hmm. But I would say, and I got this from, from Beru, uh, and, you know, there are these 12 questions that you should ask yourself for the scene and uh, not, not necessarily every single time. But I, I said, on a time schedule that where you don't have that much time, what are the best things to do? And he always says, uh, what do you need? Where have you just been and what does it mean to you? Um, Great. Right. And you've kind of got everything then. On that note, Corey, this yes. has been an yes. absolute delight. Can you read us it the speech, been. please? I'll give it a go. I will mute myself so that I don't make sure. any squeals of delight at the wondrousness of I the will. speech and the performance. <laughs> what? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will not mute myself. Thank you. That, uh, I, that I'd appreciate you not muting That much sense. So, um, fair. Did you say fair? Are you out of your fucking mind? Fair is fictitious. Fair is God, Allah, Scorpio with Leo rising. Fair is elves and pixies. Why are you talking about fair? You're a grown lad. You can't be this much of an idiot. Are you this much of an idiot? I asked you a question. Are you this much of a fucking idiot boy? Why did I take myself away? You ask, Uh, Why did I take myself away? Well, let me describe something to you. You know when spring comes and you can see the blossoms and the air smells of those incredible smells after a long winter of, of winter smells that you had got so used to that you didn't even know that they were there. And the moisture is different. The sky is different. The smell of the light is different. Every single thing feels as if it had been made for the first time. Do you recognise the things that I'm talking about? Hmm? Well, it's all fake. It's all a trick. It's not real. None of it. None of it's new. None of it's fresh. It's been happening for hundreds of millions of years, year in, year out. Every year it pretends to be new and it fools all of us, even the fucking animals. There have been millions and millions and millions of springs, and not one of them meant a thing. And all of those things that you believe in, the newness you are going to birth into this world, none of it is real. None of it matters. It has all happened again and again and again 
You are not different. Now, I'm going to write you a check for 200, no, 3,000 right now. If you tell me who you are, not for Kai, not for you and Kai, but for you, just you, Pete. 300,000 right now, if you just tell me who you are. That's awesome. And there we go. What a speech, is right? Dennis, I mean, like, is Dennis Kelly okay? <laughs> is he okay? I do think that when you read amazing things like um, that, you're like, oh God, that came out of your mind. Like, are you okay? I know, I know. Do you wake up in the morning and have tea? <laughs> what, like, what, you know, at what point in your day does that, do you write that? Because do you sit down and write that on, on a page? Like, yeah. how, do, or do you just like, are your eyes rolling in <laughs> the back of your hopefully head? Hopefully it's like, like, he's not living with that thought. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristan Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. Our heartfelt thanks to the estates and license holders that allow us to read our guests' speech choices. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can follow us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out and enjoy visual clips of the interviews on our YouTube channel. Finally, if you would like to support Hear Me Out, go ahead and click the Patreon link at the bottom of the episode bios.